Welcome to the Reputation Capital Podcast with a capital R and a capital C. I'm Randy Baker. And I'm Dr. Kent with a capital K. And today we're talking to the king with a capital K of Fireside Strategy. And we're talking to Dan King. Well, but of course we also, it makes me think of Billie Jean King. We didn't ask if he's related but uh, we talk about a ton of tennis on this interview. We talk about tennis, we talk about, well, flaming tennis balls. Fired up balls. (laughs) (laughs) On that note, we we talk about serious stuff too and business, Um, but yeah, flaming balls. All right, Dan King, here's our interview. Well, nice to see you, Dan. So you just told us you're in New York. When was the first time I don't know, you set foot in New York. The first time I set foot in New York, I would have been very young. I would have had no idea what was going on. I grew up in a small town, and my parents brought me to New York as a tourist, and the building seemed really big. (laughs) (laughs) What small town? Where'd you grow up? I'm from the east coast of Canada, right on the Atlantic Ocean. Ooh, you got me intrigued. How close to the area where they do amazing fiddling and dancing and all that? Well, everyone from the East Coast of Canada, all of us do dancing and fiddling. I could get up right now. I have my (laughs) fiddle around the corner in a closet. So, Is it true? (laughs) No, okay. (laughs) No. He mouthed no. Yeah, okay. So so, (laughs) speaking of fiddling around, um, what is it you do for a living? So I run a business called Fireside Strategic, and we work with one very particular type of CEO to grow their companies. And that type of CEO is the creator CEO. There are many CEOs who are engineers. They understand how to sell widgets really well and how to build the operations to sell those widgets. Very often, they're a professional CEO who takes over a company that's you know, already doing relatively well. That's not who we work with. We work with what we call creator CEOs, the CEO for whom the business is the most fundamental creative project of their life. We liken it to the CEO that thinks of their business as their David, and the CEO is the Michelangelo. They tend to be brilliant. They tend to be sensitive. And for them, the journey of growing the business is one and the same with the journey of growing themselves. And so my business partner and I um, are, I think, a, a harmonious team. I work with the human element of the CEO. I'm an executive coach and my business partner is a brilliant strategy consultant. And so we both have through different lenses, understand the white space that the business needs to grow into and the white space the CEO needs to grow into. So we integrate strategy consulting and executive coaching to grow the human and the business. And it just so happens that one isn't really going to grow sustainably without the other growing. If it's a creator CEO. So Dan, I've, I've heard a rumor Mm-hmm. Rumor that you love tennis. So tennis, fireside, creator. How do those three elements all fit together? Mm, what a great question. I don't think I've ever talked about of many podcasts that I've been on, I don't think I've talked about tennis yet. If I were to liken tennis to the work we do, entrepreneurship is a very creative process. It involves hitting a ball back and forth across the net. I think that there's a very short-term notion of entrepreneurship that many of us have been sold, the sort of get-rich-quick dream. I like an entrepreneurship to a much longer journey, and it's one in which 
we hit the tennis ball of growth, human and business growth, back and forth across the net, right? The ball doesn't just move in one direction. It moves in many, many different directions, back and forth and back and forth. That was pretty good. So now I've got to throw law into the mix. So as a recovering lawyer, obviously that was where you started your coaching experience. I Well, I presume that. A recovering lawyer, now working with entrepreneurs and loving tennis, sitting and having fireside chats. It sounds like a pretty interesting progression of life. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I started my professional journey as a lawyer and fairly quickly found something about it didn't quite feel right. Everyone around me when I was growing up said, you will make a great lawyer. And I got a fortune cookie that told me that I would make a great lawyer. So I followed the fortune cookie's advice. Then I realized, you know what? There are certain aspects of this I'm good at, but it requires me spending 10 billion hours in a library doing research on arcane legal subjects. And I know at some level, this is not what I'm supposed to do. I don't know what I am supposed to do. This isn't it. And so it prompted an exploration into self-awareness and to understanding more about who I am. And that journey led me through a few different businesses, the first of which failed, the second of which was a simply a career transition business for lawyers. I found that many other lawyers do not love the work they do. And so built a business in that domain, uh, grew it and sold it. And I sold it because it was a good business, but I realized there too, it was a good business opportunity, a smart thing to do, but it wasn't quite what I was supposed to do. It wasn't quite who I was supposed to serve. And very honored to say that, that I'm doing what I love to do now. It's been a journey to get here. It has not been easy. I know it isn't easy for most people, but that journey is so worth it. I really encourage people who haven't found their thing to keep the faith that their thing exists and that it will be a distillation, especially if they're sensitive and creative. It's going to take a little while because it's not going to be the obvious thing that someone else tells you to do. It's going to be a distillation of many different interests of yours, many different passions of yours, as well as, you know, a lot of failures. But if you stick with it and you really trust your intuition as opposed to what other people tell you you should do, you will find that life and work can be beautiful, beautiful experiences. You got to be willing to ultimately trust yourself and watch your patterns, watch the mistakes you make and, and learn from them in as powerful a way as you can. So I want to talk to our listeners real quickly before I hand off to, to Kent. Listeners, you heard it here first. Fortune cookies are not necessarily true. I, I hate. I hate to say it. I hate to say it, but it's true. I, I don't. I don't know if I agree. I, I got a. I got a fortune cookie in college that said, um, "The greatest danger may be your stupidity." I, I carried it around in my wallet for fifteen years until it disintegrated. I actually got. Actually, that was my first publication. I, I was published in a book of tweets by uh, what's his name, Dan. Um, Daniel Pogue, I think is his name, for the New York Times. He had this book of tweets, and my tweet got included in because it said, I had a fortune cookie that said, the greatest danger must be your stupidity. Mm. Speaking of stupidity, Dan, a rickshaw across India? What got you doing that? Were you running away from something? I am full of stupidity. You're quite right, and this is a perfect example. And yes, I think, you know, I, I've had this tradition once every five years of doing something really stupid. Because when you're an entrepreneur and a lawyer, you spend a lot of time being smart. And life requires some stupidity. And so when I was a lawyer and when I was in law school, I just realized 
I kind of want to escape for a bit. And I want to escape to as far away a place as I can and do something so totally removed from what I'm doing. And so that's how this rickshaw run came about. It was a charity race that a friend of mine found and it appeared to be completely stupid and different. And it turned out to be just that. And so when you get in a rickshaw and drive from one end of India to the other, an auto rickshaw, by the way, not a manual rickshaw. So I'm not pushing a rickshaw, I'm driving it. It's like driving a motorcycle. It turns out it is stupid and it's fun. And I encourage other people to do stupid, fun things. Sounds stupid, cool to me, which apparently as, as the, is it the kids that are saying that? I don't know. Somebody says that and yeah. it's extra cool, right? Stupid, cool. All right. So you've got this new business. It's about fireside, which is like, ah, oh, the fire's crackling and I feel comfy and I got my cup of tea, you know, but it's also a fire, right? There's also a fire burning. Um, maybe it's controlled, but like, it's a primitive thing. Like, you know, um, I always talk about Oog and Boog, you know, uh, 50,000 years ago or whatever. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, Oog yeah, is yeah. on one side of the fire and Boog is on the other side of the fire and they're having a, a an awesome time because the fire is giving them warmth, but it's this, you know, it's a stack of wood just burning, right? It's, it's an insane thing that we can't quite understand as humans. Yeah, the, the brand name has a bunch of different associations. It has the famous FDR Fireside Chat Association, right? And FDR was the first president to bring warmth, true warmth and sort of down to earthness to the presidency, which we think is important because if we're not doing stupid things, then we can get in our heads and be really full of ourselves. The fireside chat also has the CEO association, right? Because so many CEOs like to do fireside chats. But then as you point out, it also has the connotation of warmth and challenge. There's something about an inner fire that we all have that we need to stoke. There's something challenging about the fire. And for us, that combination of warmth and kindness is important for the work we do, but also the challenging aspect of fire. Like it can get a little hot. We have very deep, honest, direct conversations internally as a company, and we do with our clients as well. We don't brush things under the rug. And the fire symbolizes that there's a certain amount of heat you're going to need to tolerate to be able to work with us. You talked about white space earlier and sort of encouraging people to kind of move into the white space around them or the canvas or however you express that, yeah. which I think is interesting because around fire, another aspect of fire that I'm always saying to clients is, uh, I probably say it too often, but it's like burn, burn it all down. Just keep the good element, burn all the other stuff. Do that, do that controlled burn, right? I never thought of that until now, but you're right. There's, there's all kinds of ways you can play with fire. So I'm thinking about now we're back to tennis. Mm -hmm. Playing with fire, playing tennis. Um, ooh, ooh, a fiery tennis ball. A fiery now that tennis would be ball. amazing. Yeah. Now that was that was where I was actually going. So you jumped in front of me. It just adds an element of, of danger and an element of risk in a controlled environment, which is very interesting to think about. So if an entrepreneur is hitting this fiery tennis ball backwards and forwards, if they don't stay on their game, mm. they risk burning everything down without knowing about it. Hmm. Hmm. Playing with fire, I kind of really like the idea. Yeah, you know, it's such an interesting, I, I really love the riffing that you guys are doing here. Branding is an exercise that can take forever. I used to, when I first started building businesses, really underestimate the importance of it. But branding is a way to, it's a path to deeper self-awareness. As a company, you can really understand what your brand means and flesh it out 
you will be able to convey that richness to others. You'll also have a bit more fun. So I'm really grateful to you guys for thinking about the branding in frankly deeper ways than I ever have. So I, I got to ask you, if you love tennis, are you a good tennis player? I, I, I am going to not so humbly say I am a pretty good tennis player. Not a professional, but I grew up playing fairly seriously. So, nice. so I think yeah. I'm a pretty well, good tennis player. My sister-in-law is a, uh, well, she was. She was a pro tennis player. She was mm-hmm. ranked 13th in the world at one stage. Um, ranked which in the world, sorry? She was ranked 13th in the world. Oh, what was her name? So that's, that's pretty high up there. And so tennis is kind of a part of my world. Um, what, 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 what was her name, Randy? Sandy Collins. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That rings a bell. That yeah, a so you've got to go back to the, I don't know, the 80s and 90s. Yeah. I mean, she was, she was playing in the days of um, Margaret Court and... Um, Steffi Graf and well, yeah. Margaret Court would have even been and She knows she Graf, played yeah. all, those, all those stars, yeah. So in terms of tennis... I mean, it's such an interesting game because so I, I went to tennis camp as a kid. First time I ever used Icy Hot. Somebody put it on me and then it accidentally got into my armpit. And then I, that was the first time I experienced Icy Hot. For <laughs> when, that, was, that was a crazy experience. However, it's not about me. It's about Dan. And what I'm really curious about is what was your spider skill in tennis? What made you better than anybody else around you, theoretically? And what is your spider skill in your current business? And do those two have anything mm. in common? Mm. Mm. If I were to guess, and what what great questions you guys, what random but great questions you guys are asking. I think, especially when I was at various times in my life, including right now, I've been pretty thin. And when I was playing tennis growing up, you would not think that a thin person could hit a tennis ball as powerfully as I can. And I think in particular, it was the cross-court forehand. It was power, but cross-court, sort of unexpected. And I think sometimes, because I am kind, people don't quite get how much they're going to be challenged when they work with us. And so there's something about the directness and the power of the challenge that you don't initially expect. So it's that powerful, targeted challenge that you don't really expect because you're looking at someone who seems kind of non-threatening at first. It reminds me of uh, my my dad used to run triathlons, run run swim bike, whatever, and in races and things. And he'd show up in the most ratty old clothes you've ever seen, and people wouldn't even notice him. (laughs) And he'd, you know, you know, beat them all at that point. So the so I think what's interesting is. When people judge you by your covers, and I'm similar, people think I'm the nice guy of our duo between Randy and me, and I, I'm the one that kind of... Yeah, I can tell. <laughs> I pull out the, the sword sometimes, but I, I, I say it with a smile usually. But in what ways do you kind of sink the dagger into your clients in a good way? Like how, what, what, what are the pieces that make you kind of like, wow, I really gave it to them. This was great. Yeah. So one of the other things about me is that I'm an only child. And I grew up, I now realize more and more in a pretty isolated kind of way. So not only was I an only child, but there were no family around growing up other than my parents. And it was great upbringing in many ways, but I lived some distance away from school where a lot of my friends were. And so I spent, and my parents were working hard, so I spent a ton of time alone. And 
I would have said that I, I'm pretty extroverted now, but I was pretty shy as a child. And so I spent a lot of time watching. And I think, you know, there was some loneliness that came from that, but there was also a gift of being able to see patterns. And so with our CEOs, I can spend 20 minutes probably with one on Zoom and I'll see something about themselves that's significant that they won't have seen before. And it took me a while to build the courage to be able to tell them what I saw kindly, but conspicuously. And so I think that there's something about that only child upbringing. I'm an extrovert. I can really talk, but I also have the introvert's ability to listen and to really see psychological patterns crisply. And I'm pretty verbal. The whole lawyering thing did teach me some verbal skills. And so, and it gave me the courage, right? Like all lawyers are assholes. Let's face it. We kind of have to be. And so a little bit of that lawyer assholishness allows me to pretty crisply punchily articulate what I see. So there's a reason for all the lawyer jokes. Um, <laughs> and I'm not going to make one here, but so Dan, this has been great. We like to keep our, our interviews relatively short and punchy and interesting. Before we close, one more question. Who would you like to connect with you and how can they do it? Sure. So in terms of the people that are our, our clients, as I say, they are creator CEOs. So these are CEOs, almost always founders of small to medium-sized businesses, usually under 100 employees, and they're in a growth phase. They know that it's time to grow their business into a new industry, a new customer type, a new revenue stage, whatever it is, they're really in growth mode, but they're kind of overwhelmed by it all. You know, there's a bit of this sort of swamp of growth where you really just, you have very little time, very little space. We create that space for you to reflect and understand whether you're actually doing the things you're supposed to be doing. Because most creator CEOs in this place, they're really flummoxed. There's so much going on. It's their baby, so they care. They also lack deep down the confidence to know that they're actually doing the right things on a day-to-day -day basis. And so if you're open to deep reflection and deep introspection, you can take a look at firesidestrategic.com slash thought partnership. Again, that's firesidestrategic.com slash thought partnership. And you can take a look at, at what working with us is like, and you can apply for a call there if you want. And so that, that's who could connect with us in terms of clients, but also just cool people in general. If you enjoyed this conversation, I love conversations reach out. It doesn't just need to be a client. I always want to connect with just cool people because that's part of what life is at its best. So from fiddling around to flummoxedness to assholery, and then finally to the fireside strategy. I love this conversation. This was really fun. So thanks for chatting with us, Dan. Tons of fun, guys. I enjoyed it. Well, thanks, Dan. I I loved this interview. I love the way we traveled through the tennis world. We traveled through the legal world. We traveled through coaching. We traveled through a whole lot of incredibly interesting places and ended up in a fireside chat. Fabulous stuff. Yeah, it felt sort of like, um, you know, Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. We were just, just bumping around all over the place, but it was it was awesome to speak with you. And if folks want to, um, you know, have an excellent adventure with us, uh, we got something rolling out pretty soon. So, yeah, um, there's two things you can do. You can go to thoughtpartnergroup.com and 
click on the little free assessment button at the top and do that. We'll spend a couple of minutes and write straight back to you. But we want to give you a heads up to look for something that's coming down the path that we're doing that is just totally crazy. Shall we tell them some more, Kent? Nah, I think that's enough. Cheers. Catch you on the next episode.